So today we've got some uh, reading from different parts of Proverbs, so we're going to be skipping around a little bit. Uh, So we're going to start with uh, Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Proverbs 27. The righteous who walks in his integrity... The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 23, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Proverbs 17:6 Grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers. And the last one Proverbs 10:1 The Proverbs of Solomon A wise a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Thanks Scott. You can be seated. I have to say before I uh, pray that when Aaron uh, backed up from the microphone right there and I could hear all of you singing even more clearly, I uh, was reminded of that eight or nine weeks or so when you weren't in here um, and just how, uh, I mean, we were blessed and grateful for the opportunities we had, but uh, man, to have you here is so much better, so much better, not something I ever want to take for granted. So when I'm reminded of just how grateful I am for you, I just want to share it with you. I'm grateful you're here, grateful you're here to worship with us. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, so blessed uh, in so, so many ways. Uh, Lord, we're coming up on a day we celebrate our country, uh, where we're grateful for our freedoms, that we know we're not free. And so we thank you for the freedom it is that we have to to worship you uh, in this country. God, we think of many who do not have that same freedom, and we pray for that freedom and for your gospel to go out uh, across the world. And uh, that free or not, people would proclaim your name. God, we pray that uh, as we have the freedom to gather here uh, and that we are not um, forced in any way uh, to be apart, we're grateful for the chance to be together. And we're grateful for the chance to sing your praises and to hold fast to the assurance we have in you. That because of what your son has accomplished, that our salvation is not in question. God, it is sure, as sure as the grave was empty, our salvation for all who believe is sure. And so we're thankful for that blessed assurance. God, we're thankful for the way your word teaches and instructs and guides us, that it brings new life to our hearts, and that in this new life, you guide us on this path of wisdom and discernment as we seek you. Lord, we're desperate for you, desperate, desperate for you to guide us in every moment of every day. And so, Lord, uh, bless us as we seek you and seek your wisdom, even now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. From, uh, from what I can tell in uh, my short 
I guess, short decades of living and less than a decade of parenting, uh, there are a lot of different ways that people parent. Have you noticed that? People parent in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I imagine that culture to culture, uh, when you go across the world today, parenting is done very differently. And I know for sure that generation to generation, we parent differently. Sometimes we respond to our parents' generation and we say, I'm going to do the exact opposite as much as I can. Sometimes we copy our parents' generation. We say, hey, this worked really great and I'm going to try to copy that. Well, uh, in today's world, being you know social media and everybody likes to put out funny things, uh, there are all kinds of descriptions for parenting. And some of these I knew and so I went looking and of course there are more. But I, I wanted to show you some of these. Have you heard of Velcro parenting? Maybe the more formal way we talk about it is attachment parenting, but I like Velcro parenting. That's pretty good. Velcro parenting is, is trying to stick as close to your kids as possible, you know, trying to keep, trying to build that relationship and that emotional attachment. Uh, what about helicopter parenting? You heard about helicopter parenting? Helicopter parenting is hovering so close, you're trying to protect them from any fall. So whether that be uh, a toddler wandering around a playground, you don't want them to trip, so you're there to catch them or a teenager trying to go to the dance and you're going to go with them, you know, whatever else, to try to stay close by. Uh, there's snowplow parenting. That was kind of a new one to me. Snowplow parenting is where you go before your kids and try to remove any and all obstacles from their path. Anything that would be hard for them, you want to move it out of the way. You want to plow it out of the way. Uh, there's free-range parenting, like free-range chicken, I guess, you know. But this idea, you just kind of let them go and wander. And the idea, I think, behind it is that they'll gain independence. You know, they can walk themselves to the neighbor's house or, you know, go to the park or go to the grocery store or wherever, you know, kind of by themselves. Uh, so those are kind of the popular ones. There was, back in the 60s, a psychologist kind of grouped, trying to generally group uh, parenting into four categories. And now, you know, in today's world, they've attached uh, animals to at least a few of these. So the, the authoritarian parent, the, they're called tiger parenting. You know, so when it comes to rules, it's my way or the highway. You know, like it's, it's strict. The explanation for all rules is because I said so. You know, uh, a child's feelings have no impact on the decision. It's just this is how it's going to be. Uh, there's permissive parenting, which they have attached uh, the, the, the animal, a jellyfish, jellyfish parenting. Just kind of go with the flow. Whatever the kids say is great, you know. Um, kids will be kids. Uh, you're going to set rules, but not going to enforce them. Just kind of whatever happens. Uh, the uninvolved parent, this one I couldn't find an animal for, so I'm going to call it the sloth. I don't know. I'm going to add that one. Uh, the uninvolved parent is, don't, you know, doesn't, doesn't, and not involved with the life, child's life, as minimal, you know, involvement as possible, not going to ask about school, homework, life, just sit in front of the TV and just let kids, you know, kind of do their thing. Uh, authority, in this, this psychologist from the 60s, the one that she recommends is authoritative, not authoritarian, but authoritative parenting, and, um, and they, they've now called that dolphin parenting. So it's not tiger, but it's not jellyfish. It's, uh, it's firm yet flexible, you know. And so there's a lot, a lot of effort into creating and maintaining a positive relationship with, with clear rules and guidelines uh, that it, they enforce, uh, but taking the child's feelings into considerations and getting to know them deeply. So I'm sure there's many more styles, but I found those kind of fun, especially snowplow. That's such a good image, snowplow parenting. And I think that's a major temptation uh, for parents today. Par parenting's hard. It's, it's no surprise to me that we have landed across generations and cultures. We have landed in so many different places when it comes to strategies about parenting because parenting is so hard. We had parenting all figured out until we became parents, right? Like you watched uh, people and you're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And I can't believe those parents are doing this. 
And then you have kids and you're like, wow, okay, I guess I'm, you know, here I am doing all those things. And uh, as hard as it is uh, to figure out how to do it well, we know how important it is. And so we want to seek the best ways and the wisest ways uh, to parent. Uh, I imagine, uh, you know, if you, if you hold a child, I mean, just, just, just holding a child, you recognize how, how important uh, raising children is. I remember being in a, an orphanage in Guatemala. I was with uh, the church I grew up in, went, went to this orphanage a lot. And, and uh, this orphanage is still there today. They have hundreds of kids. I can't remember, three or 400 kids. And they're on all these divided in all these different houses. But the, the ratio, I mean, they're doing great. They're doing great things and helping these kids in so many ways. But the ratio is something like 10 or 12 kids of all the same age and gender per you know, missionary that's serving there. And uh, I just remember working with these kids and holding these kids and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for what they have, but I just I want so much more for them. You know, and I, I pick up my kids if three to two, like we're already outnumbered. Like I don't, you know, I, the ratio is already off. But, you know, I mean, we just we want we hold a kid and we just we have this desire that's just innate in us that we, we want this child to be raised in a, a good and healthy way and we want the best for this child and as parents that that lands on us in many ways that is our responsibility and yet it is so challenging I come to you I'm, I'm surprised I don't have stains maybe I do I don't know on my shirt you know I come to you tired I come to you clueless but saying how important this is from scripture to raise our, children's, our children well. Uh, the, the desire is in all of us to be good parents, but it is so, so challenging. So I promise uh, that if any of this feels condemning to you, don't, don't let it, because I'm not in any way condemning parents. I, I have, as much as I don't feel like I have marriage figured out, like we talked about last week, even below that on having parenting figured out. But what we do have in God's Word is, is some incredible wisdom, some incredible wisdom about what it looks like to raise children. So if you were here this last week, you know, I planned to preach on family, uh, marriage and parenting on Father's Day. So that made sense, right? And then just decided that was not, it wasn't going to fit in one sermon. So here I am the Sunday after Father's Day talking about parenting. That's good planning, right? Anyway, uh, Proverbs has a lot to say. And, and what we've been trying to do, taking these themes, is to, to look at the whole book of Proverbs, all 31 chapters, and find all the references around one certain theme. And so I got Scott to read a, a dozen or so of them, but there's plenty more. All the, the verses around one theme, and say, what does the Bible have to say about that theme? So we started uh, with chapter 8, which is talking about wisdom, that we did pride and humility, marriage last week, parenting this week. And similar to last week, this is not a sermon for just people who are currently raising children in your home. If you have children off, they're grown, you know. Uh, I, I still rely on my parents all the time, call them like, I have no idea how to handle this. You never stop parenting, even if they're not uh, on your payroll. You're still parenting, uh, so whether they're at home or not. Some of you are, are younger and don't have, parent, don't have children yet, uh, and so like, like we said with marriage, it's better to seek wisdom before you become parents uh, and so you can walk in that. But, but even if you, you never have biological children, if, if God, for whatever reason, has not allowed you to physically be able to have biological children, that that's, there's still a, a word for you here today because you turn to the New Testament and realize that the primary way that we talk about offspring is not just biological, but spiritual. Paul writes to Timothy, to both of his letters to Timothy, and he addresses Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 1, my true child in the faith, and 2 Timothy 1, my beloved child. This was not his biological son. This was a son, his son in the faith who he had led to Christ. So when we come to the New Testament, we realize, yes, we're, we, we are called the, the creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply. 
But even more so, we're called to make disciples. And disciples are our spiritual offspring. So many of the ways that Proverbs talks about the ways that we teach and direct and guide our biological children now apply to passing along the faith to the next generation. So this is a message when it comes to parenting for all of us, because all of us, whether biological parents or not, are called to make disciples, spiritual offspring. So if you look at all that the Proverbs has to say about parenting, uh, similar to what we saw about marriage last week, here's, here's what I think the message of Proverbs is about parenting, is that children are given to us as a gift of God, a gift from God, as a delightful responsibility. Children are given to us by God as a delightful responsibility. Those are the two words I'm putting together, I think, to capture marriage and to capture parenting. It's a delightful responsibility. Uh, Every single child, we affirm this, every single child who was ever conceived is a delight and a joy and a privilege to a parent and to the world. And absolutely a tremendous responsibility. The, the one proverb, if you want to pull just one verse out to kind of capture this together, uh, I'd put Proverbs 3.12 kind of to the top of that list. It says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So in there you hear the responsibility. There is a responsibility to discipline the child. But there's also a delight, a son in whom he delights. Children are given to us by God as a delightful responsibility. And so many of our gifts, we said this other week, so many of the gifts we receive are just that. They are a delight and their responsibility together. And part of the, the, what makes it a delight is the responsibility of it. If somebody gives you, if you have an opportunity and you get your dream job, like the dr- job you've been thinking about forever, if you have this incredible opportunity given before you, it's a delight, it's a joy. And then tomorrow morning you got to show up. <laughs> you got to go to that job. You have work to do, and you enjoy it. You delight in it because it is what you're asking for. It's the delight you have. Somebody, if you, if you buy a house, it's your dream house. Even if you were in, inherited it, so there was no mortgage, or you just, it was just given to you, and you, you delight in it, you rejoice in it, you're happy with it, there still is a responsibility to keep it up. It takes work and effort to keep up that gift. Many, many things that God has given us are a delightful responsibility, and they probably come with different levels of responsibility. And I haven't yet to come up with anything much higher in the level of responsibility that requires than children. I've also yet to come up with much that compares to it in delight. Children are a delightful responsibility. And I say that about biological kids, and I say about adoptive kids, and I say that about making disciples, leading others to the faith. That is a delight. And it's a responsibility. So as, as you're looking at your children and your opportunities uh, in parenting, wonder, I wonder if you, if you hear that and if that's how you respond. They're given to us as delightful responsibilities. So take responsibility in your family. We'll take these one at a time, responsibility and delight. Take responsibility in your family. We've said that Proverbs, you know, it's all about wisdom. That's what it's about. And so when it comes to wisdom, many times about the way the Bible talks about wisdom is the difference between right and wrong. So parenting, many times, is about choosing right over wrong. It's about choosing the best path. And of course, when it comes to our children, being responsible for them is the right path, the wise path. Now, you don't have to be a a Christian to affirm that we have a certain level of responsibility to our kids. Even non-Christians will say, hey, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, you've got to clothe them. You've got to put a roof over their heads. You've got to put food on the table. Like just basic everyday needs 
uh, of meeting their, their, what they have. That's a responsibility that you have. But, but Proverbs takes that for granted. <laughs> Proverbs just assumes that's the kind of responsibility you're already taking uh, if you are a parent. We unfortunately can't assume that in, in our world. It's a sad reality that many of us have experienced in, in, in firsthand ways in some form or fashion that for whatever reason a biological parent doesn't have the capacity or just doesn't take the responsibility. And that is, that is a sad, sad place to be. But sometimes it's, you know, there's all kinds of circumstances involved there. But Proverbs assumes that level of responsibility. So you think, hey, uh, he said, be responsible as a parent. I got that. Check. You know, I, I, they've got clothes. They got school supplies this year. They got, they got food on the table. And those are great things. Don't, don't stop doing that. <laughs> but Proverbs pushes a little further. And by that, I mean a lot further. That, that is the, that's the minimum when it comes to responsibility as a parent. Many of us have, have seen examples of people who have uh, everything taken care of. You know, they've got nice clothes, they, they look fine on the outside, and yet emotionally, spiritually, been totally detached from parents. There, there have been needs that just haven't been met, and so there are so many holes in their lives. So they look like they're okay, and yet they're not. Proverbs is pushing in that direction when it calls us to take responsibility, more than just meeting the physical needs, to meet a much deeper need. And the first way that it calls us to that is to teach your children. Teach your children. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instructions. Forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are graceful garland in your head and penance for your neck. Last week we read this verse talking about marriage because the father and mother are mentioned together. Both of them are involved in the teaching capacity for the children. But from mom and dad, what, what are they getting? What's responsible? What, how are they being responsible parents? They are teaching. They are instructing the child. And this comes up over and over in Proverbs. Just a few more. Proverbs 3.1, My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. So don't forget it. Don't neglect what I have taught you. Uh, Proverbs 4.4, 4, He taught me and he said to me, Let your hearts hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. So there is, he taught, he, he commanded. Over and over we read things like that in Proverbs. That's just a few of them. So we, we read of this, and really you could say the whole book of Proverbs, it's all framed as a father writing to a son. So really you could say the, the whole book is about parenting because it's all about teaching the next generation. And so as we look at that, we say, okay, if that's what he's saying, that means our job, our responsibility is to teach our children. And when he uses words like Proverbs and says to, to hold on to the truth, we know he's not primarily talking about you know, teaching your son to change the oil in the truck. Oh, that, that's a good thing to teach him. You know, that'd be great to pass along skills. But what he's talking about here is the way of the Lord, isn't he? He's talking about the way of the Lord. Our, our memory verse for this month out of Proverbs 9.10 is, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The primary thing we're called to pass on to the next generation, the thing that we're called to teach our children our, our, our disciples that we're making, is to worship God, to praise Him, to know the, the, the God of the universe personally, to understand Him, to have insight about who He is. Our primary responsibility as parents is to pass along the faith. More than anything else we do, we're called to pass along a faith in the Savior of the world. We've got to teach Him. We've got to teach our children. We, we are, are grateful for the army of volunteers it takes to do children's ministry here. Splash Zone, 9.30, Wednesday nights, 
Camp Kidfinity, we're going to do this summer. It takes an army of you. Uh, our students have so many great volunteers. We have so many people that are investing in children. But parents, you, you know this, but hear me reinforce it. You are the primary disciple makers of your children. There, there have been generations, and I think the, the pendulum is, is in a good way swinging back to where it should be, but there have been generations that have delegated discipleship, teaching the faith to the church outside the home. They've said, as parents, we will just you know, teach, send them to school and take care of their physical needs. The church isn't responsible for teaching them about Jesus. And that is not the picture we read in the Bible. These are, over and over again, Proverbs calls father and mother to teach the children the knowledge of the Lord. That is our job as parents. We cannot relegate that. As a church, we are here to support you as parents. We're here to help you as parents to do that. But it, it lands on you. I mean, just think, take the amount of time that we have with your kids. We have, at most, three hours a week. Like, if you're at everything we do, and then a couple special occasions, right? You have another 165 hours of their lives that you're in charge. And I'll argue to say you're in charge even when they're here. Like, you know, they're still yours, right? So we as parents have to take the primary responsibility that's given to us by the Bible, given to us by God, to teach our children. So what, what are you doing with, with your job, with your, with your role as, as a teacher? Wise and godly parents are, are not just uh, a strict disciplinarian or, or guiding them along their path to self-discovery. Wise and godly parents are ones who instruct their children in the knowledge of the Lord, in the way of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. And so I think when you read through Proverbs, you can't avoid but see that if we're going to teach our children in the Lord, there has to be some intentional time uh, of sitting down to instruct our kids in what it means to follow Jesus. And, and that can be challenging. It's hard. It's as busy as our schedules are. So please, I tell you, I'm not condemning you because we have gone all over the map with, the, with just the seven years I've been in personal parenting, you know, in my own household. I had great ideas before we started, you know, but actually seeing your kids down and instructing them in the Lord, that is hard. But but don't let the, the difficulty of it discourage you from trying. Start simple. Start small. Open up a Bible. If your kids are children, get a children's Bible. We have so many good children's resources. We'll help you with that. Open up a children's Bible. Read them a story. Sing a song you know that's a, a hymn or something else. Use your phone. Play a song and pray. If you did that three days a week for the entire of your kids' lifehood, the time they're, they're in your home, it would make a dramatic, dramatic difference in their lives. And we have gone through so many different things. There's so many great resources. This year we've been using uh, New City Catechism, which as a question and answer way of teaching your children the Lord. And it's got a song to go with it. And kids memorize things like sponges. It's amazing what they can do. Find just simple routines. Find simple ways. It doesn't have to be three days a week. It can be one day a week. Just put something on the calendar and say, I'm going to sit down with my kids and teach them about the Lord. It may not be easy, may not always fit, but make a commitment and be willing to stick to it. When it gets hard, it's okay. You miss a week, it's okay. But get back on the horse and stay at it. I, I don't know how you could read the book of Proverbs and then, and then step back and say, yeah, I can do that. I can teach my children without ever stopping and actually talking to them about Jesus. I just don't think you can read Proverbs and, and say that's, that's possible. I think the Proverbs makes it clear if we're going to teach our children, we're going to have to sit down with them. However... That's not all it does, because we've all seen, you know, different examples of people coming through church or something. They're, they're, they're you know, they get the, the information, but yet their families are, are living far from the Lord. So it's not just in what we say, 
It's also in how we live. Proverbs 20, verse 7, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And I, I love that verse. Our integrity, our character, our lifestyle is a blessing to our children. Because we should be sitting down and walking with the children about what, who Jesus is and what he's done and, and all that, that means to follow him. But if our life does not mirror that, then we're going to be teaching our children things that we didn't, we didn't want to teach them. Our children know us so well, even from young ages, they are so perceptive. And so as they're watching you live, what are they picking up from the way that you're living your life? Our kids would be blessed by living, if we are living Christ-like lives in front of them, that is a blessing to them, God's Word tells us. So, of course, the opposite is true. If we are living unholy, selfish lives, if we are living far from the Lord, if our language is, is, is foul, our kids pick up on these things. And so we've got to be careful as we pass along not just what we say, but how we live, because the kids pick up on that. And we know, we know we are not perfect. Our kids will see us sin. It's not if. Our kids will see us sin. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest things we could pass along to our children is a willingness to say, I'm sorry. A willingness to apologize to our children. If our children watch us repent to them, if we apologize to them, that's one of the greatest gifts you can give your children because they're going to mess up. Believe it or not, they're going to mess up. And if they see true repentance, if we come and apologize and work to overcome a sin, that is one of the greatest gifts of wisdom we can pass along to our children. That is what it looks like to walk in integrity. And so many times we've found in parenting that, that hey, you just have this big idea of, okay, I'm going to sit down and here's the, the part of the Bible I'm going to discuss and here's the question I think they really need to know. And then you're driving down the road and you're, you're talking about something totally different and they drop some big question on you, right? That's just how kids work. They've got some, some idea hits them and they hit you the most random time. And so I think part of walking in, in integrity and our walk with the Lord is that we're always ready. We're always ready. Kids, they're going to pop some question on you and you just say, all right, I need God's wisdom. And if we're growing in wisdom, if we're following Him, then we're going to be prepared for that. And when we're not, we can be honest and say, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to spend time to look into it and get back to you. That's what walking in wisdom looks like, to be able to answer their questions and guide them in the faith. Children are given to us by God as a delightful responsibility. Not just young children, not just biological children, disciples, older children, they're going to be asking questions. Are we teaching them? Are we guiding them and directing them in the faith? It can be so easy, I think, with uh, our biological kids or with uh, you know, people that we're helping walk uh, in the faith. And we can, we can get all geared up and excited about it, and we should be, about the, the moment that they put their faith in Christ. You know, praying a prayer to, to repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ. That is an important, important moment in their life. But it's just, it's just one moment. Our job as parents and as spiritual disciple makers is to continue to walk day in and day out with our children and with ones that we're seeing grow in the faith because discipleship is a process. It's not a one-time thing only. It is a one-time moment to put your faith in Christ and then to continue to walk with Him. That's a picture of parenting. It's a picture of discipleship. So that's the first responsibility for parents is to teach them. But guess what? They don't always listen. <laughs> I know it's news to you as parents. But apparently, from what I've learned, maybe it's just me, children don't always listen. So as many times as, as Proverbs says, says teach, and I didn't actually count, but it seems like, to my, to my you know, eyeballing this, it even more talks about discipline. So we're called to teach, but when they don't follow that, then there's a place for discipline. So we have to teach our children 
and we have to discipline our children. So I'll give you just a few of them. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. Proverbs 13, 24, he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your children and he will give you rest. Over and over, Proverbs emphasizes the need for discipline. So apparently that is a big need for us. And I can affirm that, that that is a huge, huge need. And, and what this is based in is what the Lord does for us. As we come to God, we, we recognize we are His children, and He who loves us deeply loves us enough to discipline us. Proverbs 3.12, For the Lord reproves him whom He loves, as a father the son in whom He delights. God, our Heavenly Father, loves you enough to discipline you, to correct you, to guide you on the path. And we as parents are called to do the same. If we love, we truly love our children, we will discipline them. Discipline probably is one of the most common everyday parts of parenting, but probably also one of the most challenging, at least challenging to do it well. It is really, really hard to discipline our children in a way that's healthy and good. I'm still, of course, figuring that out like everything else. We need God's wisdom for sure on how to handle this. Maybe the most famous proverb that's not in the Bible <laughs> Uh, but pro- pro- proverbial wisdom uh, is spare the rod, spoil the child. You know that phrase? It sounds like a Bible verse. It's, it's not quite in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says it this way, Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares, the, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who, lives, who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So that's, the Bible's, that's Proverbs 13, 24, uh, the Bible's way of capturing that kind of English proverb we carry around. In the ancient world, the rod was, was a physical item, obviously, and it was used to literally punish criminals. And so it came to represent all kinds uh, of different punishment or just the authority and discipline in general. And so when you read uh, the rod, which comes up over and over, you could count that. It's probably at least 10 times or so in Proverbs, I would think. And when you read the rod, yes, it is talking about at least, uh, could include physical corporal punishment, what we call that, but it's not limited to that. When it talks about the rod, it's talking about all kinds of discipline and discipline in general. And so, I, I like earlier, I, it's unfortunate, I feel the necessity to clarify that, of course, the Bible is not talking about abusing our children. Uh, I'm afraid that many uh, uh, unholy and ungodly uh, parents have tried to hide behind that English proverb of spare the rod, spoil the child, and, and have, used, have abused that idea and abused their children. So please hear clearly, the Bible absolutely forbids abusing our children. So it's a good question, a good thing to discuss and figure that out for your family about whether or not you're going to use physical, corporal punishment because it can so easily, we've seen it, so easily go go off track. If we are using physical discipline in anger, it's probably no longer discipline. It gets borderline on abuse. We've got to be really, really careful. If we've been drinking or anything else is going on, we've got to be really, really careful if we think that we're using physical uh, corporal punishment and calling it discipline. So be, just be wise in that. Hear caution in that. But also know the Bible does say, use a rod. Use clear discipline. When the Bible talks about discipline, I think the picture here is that it's used, we have wisdom, we have, we're, we're wise, we're using clear commands, and, and a, a punishment that fits the crime, you know, that goes along with what you're asking for. So the message of Proverbs is that physical discipline or, or any kind of discipline is critical to parenting. If we do not discipline our children, it, it means we don't love them. We don't, we don't care about them. Uh, he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. So when you parent well, 
We set clear rules and expectations that are reasonable and fair and clear and consistent consequences that are appropriate. If we don't set consequences for our children, then we're setting them up for failure in life, aren't we? We, we all know this. Life, as we just go about life, there are consequences for our actions. And so if our kids don't learn that at an early age, then we're setting them up for failure. Maybe your rule uh, is, hey, you got to pick up your toys before bed. And if you don't pick up a toy before bed, the toy disappears for three days, right? That is a, a minor, minor inconvenience that will teach them about consequences. Tim Keller said, inflicting minor sadness now avoids great despair later. Minor sadness now avoids great despair later. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there is, ho for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That is a strongly worded proverb. If we don't discipline our children, we're, we're, if, when, we say, when we discipline our children, we're saving their lives. We're keeping them from a path of destruction when we guide them in discipline. And here, here's why that's necessary. Proverbs is clear, like the rest of the Bible, that, that we have a heart problem. The, the world wants to tell you that, that we are born good, but the Bible is very clear that we are, we are not. Uh, Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15, rod, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So Disney is all about, you know, find yourself and just seek your own heart and that kind of thing. But the Bible tells you your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Don't go after what your heart wants. Go after what the Bible tells us. And as parents, we're called to be that for our kids. So as parents, if we're going to follow the wise path. We've got to teach and discipline our children. But I wrote, take responsibility for your family because Proverbs also speaks to kids and the way we should look at our parents. And as we're called to honor our parents, honor our parents. Uh, Proverbs applies that fifth commandment in a pretty unique way. How do we, how do we honor our parents? By walking in wisdom. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes glad his father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Do you want to honor your mom and dad? Do you want to honor your parents? Then walk with the Lord. Walk in wisdom. That is the best way to honor your parents. It's easy to get caught up in, in foolishness and to get sidetracked, and that is what dishonors our parents. Many of you have parents have been on the other side of this. You're living with the, the pain of a, of a prodigal. Your child at one point, you know, was walking with the Lord, but now is far from it. And what the Bible calls, what Proverbs calls foolishness, walking away from the Lord. And so maybe you rightly and, and, and uh, prayerfully hold on to the principle of Proverbs 22, 6, maybe the most famous proverb, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. And generally that, that principle does hold true. Children stick to their upbringing. But unfortunately, some children, even, even children of godly parents, are foolish. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So apparently it is possible to have godly parents who taught you the right thing and yet be a scoffer and reject our parents' teachings. And so children are affected by their hearts, by their parents, by their own choices. What we as parents are called to do is to cling to the one who's in charge of their hearts, namely God. Being a parent is probably the best thing for your prayer life because we are desperate, desperate, to, totally dependent upon God because only He can change our hearts. Many times being a, a God-fearing parent means we are a praying parent. That's what it means to be a godly parent. Children are given to us as a delightful responsibility to teach, to discipline, for our children to honor our parents. 
But I want to I send you out with this, that this is, what, this is where I think the Proverbs really hits home, is that we're called to delight. We're called to delight in our family. I mean, without joy, without, without love, without uh, a home of affection and encouragement, we, we, cannot, we cannot parent biblically. We cannot parent biblically. Proverbs 3.12, I've already read twice. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 4.3 says, When I was a son with my father, the tender, the only one, or the NIV says, the cherished one in the sight of my mother. There is such a temptation in parenting, especially, I'll, I'll just say with young ones, maybe it's all of them, I just haven't got to the other ages, but there's, there's, there's always something to correct in our children. Is there not? Like, it seems like every single moment there's something I could be fussing about. And, and I can find that when I'm tired, when I'm, when I'm discouraged, when I'm having a hard, then all that's coming out of my mouth is correction. Correction, correction, correction. And our children need it. They absolutely need correction. But if we listen to the soundtrack of our parenting, you know, if we put all the words we say to our kids up on the wall, you know, if we put a tune to it, what would it sound like? Would, would, our, would, our, would our parenting sound like this beautiful song of discipline and love and support? Or would it sound like a na- noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, just always banging around, fussing about something, you know? There's a place for correcting. But I just, I want you to hear the words from the Bible over and over again about rejoicing. Proverbs 23, 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. 29.17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. Parenting is, is a delight. It's a joy. If we lose that joy, if we lose what it means to, to enjoy our kids, then we can no longer be godly parents. We may say all the right things, but if our, if our tone, if our heart is one of just rebuke all the time, we're going to have a hard time capturing our children's hearts. I remember early, my, in my first year or so of parenting, uh, there was a, a girl, uh, was a college student, and, uh, and I was, you know, I, don't, I didn't have a sister, and so raising a girl, still, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. But uh, first year, I've got this one-year-old girl, and so I was talking to this college student because she, she was a really God-fearing, you know, young woman, but her, her, her parents were divorced and had just a stepdad that was kind of a hard relationship, and and so I just said, hey, what, what, if you're, from your perspective as a daughter, what, what does a dad need to do? Like, new dad, what would you tell a new dad of a daughter? And she said, you know what? What I wanted most from my dad is just that he would say, I love you and mean it. And to, to just be there for me. Because I was thinking, you know, I got I to get everything right. I got to figure out how to do girl things. I got to figure this out. Just, just, she was just, just love your daughter and be there for her. Just unconditional love. This week, I read a study uh, about um, uh, somebody who'd gone through and interviewed a bunch, of, a bunch of youth who had grown up in children's homes, and he was asking the ones who stayed with their parents' faith, ones who didn't walk away, and they were trying to figure out what's, what's the key factor, what, what makes it for a child who grew up in a, in, a children's, in, a, in a Christian's home, and the reason they stayed. Was it was a church attendance? Was it you know, uh, this amount of discipline or that kind of thing? And what they, what they said, the, Christian, the researcher said, uh, the researcher found the main thing children said impacted them was that they could talk to their parents about anything and that the parents would still love them. Unconditional love. And that doesn't always work. We've, we've seen that over and over again. There's many parent, godly parents whose children are not currently walking with the Lord. But I think that proves true. If we delight in our children, if they see our unconditional love, then that's what it looks like to show them the Lord. I, I, we went, we've gone through foster parent training, and I, I'll tell you, 
everybody should be required <laughs> to do the kind of some of it's been you know crazy and ridiculous but man so many good things uh to be able to be licensed to parent other people's kids and i really should have had it for my own kids but one of the things that they taught us that we, we don't implement you know daily or anything but just the principle is really helpful they said try this with your kids take 10 minutes a day where you're playing with them or do, doing whatever age that fits and doing what they want to do and for 10 minutes don't correct them don't don't lead them just they get to decide what to do they get to decide how to play and you don't correct them you don't change strategy you don't lead like if you're building a, a fort in the living room you don't like okay here's the design just they get to do what they want to do i'll tell you it's it's so hard <laughs> to not correct for 10 minutes for 10 whole minutes to let them lead but what happens when we can do that for just a few minutes is we're reminded these these kids are a joy they're a delight it's a privilege to have children in your home to have grown children to have disciples that we're helping lead to the lord it is a privilege it is a delight it is a joy and it's the same joy that our heavenly father has when he looks at us the only way we as parents can can live out our faith and disciple and guide in wisdom is if we will live as children of god if we'll live as live as god's children you have to remember that as a disciple of christ you have been adopted into his family not because you earned it but because the perfect Son of God came and He lived the perfectly wise and holy life and died a fool's death so that you could be brought into the family of God. When you remember the grace you've received, it empowers you to show grace to your children. And that grace is a grace that comes with wisdom, discernment, leadership, discipline, teaching, reproof, all of that. But it's a grace that's, that's foundationally built on unconditional love. Let's pray. Father, we are so desperate for your wisdom, especially when it comes to parenting. God, we recognize that our hearts lead us astray and we are tired, we are impatient, we're distracted, we're busy. And yet, God, for many of us, you have given us the great privilege of raising children. And so, God, we pray that we would love our children like you loved us, that you continue to guide us and direct us and discipline us and teach us. May we pass that along to our children. God, for those here whose children are grown, maybe some whose children are not walking with you, God, we pray that you would empower our prayer lives for all of us. We depend on you and you alone to work in our children's lives. God, for those here, here who are not parents, God, we pray that we would be faithful in sharing our faith and that we would help point others to you so that they can grow as our children in the faith to know you personally. Lord, we, we acknowledge that apart from your work, none of that's possible. It's not possible to raise children who love you. It's not possible to bring wayward children back. It's not possible to pass along faith to, to somebody who doesn't yet know you. We are, we are totally incompetent and powerless to do any of those things you're not. And so God, we depend on you today and we trust God that you're in control and that you'll guide us in wisdom. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, maybe you want to come to the altar. Maybe you want to pray for a child here. Um, maybe you want to pray uh, for a parent here. Maybe you want to seek the Lord and ask what it means to be his child. The altar is open. I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand and sing.